everyone. Thanks for joining us for the first episode of Healthy Future. I'm thrilled to launch this podcast as a way for us to reflect on the incredible transformation happening in healthcare today and to look ahead to progress that we're hoping to see in the future. There's going to be a few main segments in each of our podcast episodes. First, we'll review some of the latest news from the healthcare industry and provide our thoughts and feedback. Then we'll take a quick minute to share updates from our work here at Xerox. And third will be our company spotlight, and we'll offer a glimpse behind the scenes of an organization that's making real impact. And finally, we'll invite a guest onto the show for a Q&A conversation. If we haven't had a chance to meet before, let me take a quick moment to introduce myself. I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at Xerox Healthcare. My role is to create new opportunities and to identify, incubate, and mature partnerships and acquisitions. At Xerox, we sometimes say that we're the best kept secret in healthcare. While a lot of people may not realize it, we're a nearly $2 billion healthcare business, and we work across the entire spectrum of the industry, including provider, payer, employer, government, and pharma. I'm lucky to be joined today by my co-host, Rohan Kulkarni. At Xerox, Rohan is our Vice President of Healthcare Strategy and Portfolio. He has many years of experience in developing strategy and shaping solutions to fit the healthcare market. So he's going to be a great co-host today. Welcome to the show, Rohan. Thanks, Tam. I appreciate the introduction. I am really excited to joining you today. So I guess we can get started. Our first segment is the Healthcare News Review. Rohan and I are going to review some of the most important recent news items. Do you want to start off, Rohan? Sure, Tam. Um, I read an article by Austin Fract in the New York Times, wrote about the two mysteries of Medicare, highlighting that an increasing amount of Medicare beneficiaries are opting out of the government-run program and choosing private alternatives. At the same time, traditional Medicare spending growth has slowed, now, Frack goes on to explain that while nobody can quite figure out why these unexpected trends are taking place, they are certainly related. So I think we should make that a challenge to our listeners. Uh, if Frack can't explain why these trends are taking place, maybe we should have some of our smart audience uh, take a swing at it. So there's a great Q&A with the CTO for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Susanna Fox, written by Laura Landrow of the Wall Street Journal. The conversation focuses on the culture of innovation in healthcare, uh, which is particularly interesting for us. Fox says we need to ensure that anyone who sees a problem can research, prototype, and test a solution. I think that's a, a really interesting notion around collaboration and the democratization of innovation. Another good article by Shafali Luthra of Kaiser Health News centers on telemedicine as a solution for opioid addiction treatment, particularly in rural areas. Using virtual health technologies, we can actually connect with patients with the faraway experts who know how to treat addiction. Well, I think that goes to a conversation, Rohan, that you and I have had a number of times around uh, telehealth adoption, is that we certainly need to find problems and figure out how to solve it versus just using telehealth as a technology. I want to move on and share some recent Xerox news. We recently conducted a survey of 2,000 U.S. adults on open enrollment, and here are some of the findings. 
Nearly a quarter who plan to participate in open enrollment this year have not yet decided which type of coverage they'll choose. 9% admit they aren't sure because they don't understand their options. 24% admit they have felt frustrated with the overall open enrollment process. 23% of Americans who have health insurance do not feel confident that they're making the best choice for themselves or their family when selecting health insurance. Tam, I'm actually pretty surprised by these stats, and I, I almost wonder if consumers are holding back. You know, given the proliferation of high deductible plans, I would have expected a much higher, no, a higher set of numbers across these categories that our survey results have come back with. Um, despite that, I do still think that there are huge opportunities for the payer organization. Given that there is a fairly large number of undecided health consumer out there, uh, people who do not know which insurance they want to choose will likely end up either over-insuring themselves or under-insuring themselves. You know, the Affordable Care Act is driving to standardizing insurance products by metal, such as silver plans and bronze plans and so on. Insurers can continue to help these health consumers by offering access to healthcare professionals to provide assistance and advice. My take is that while enrollment itself may be a November to January event, Preparing health consumers for it should be a continuous process. Payers should be engaging with the health consumers through the year, proactively trying to help them manage their appointments, preventive care visits, understanding their challenges, etc., which will then seamlessly get to a decision about the level of insurance that is required. The fact that the decision is left solely to the consumer with limited support of choice is suboptimum at best. Now, way too often, uh, health insurance do miss the mark because they aren't ready to answer questions effectively when consumers call during the open enrollment period. With just a bit of preparation that I mentioned earlier, I do believe that they can provide a better experience and come out of this open enrollment season much ahead, both from a, co a consumer experience perspective as well as with the quality of the lives that they're covering. Agreed. Um, it's interesting with the mantra being patient centricity over the last year, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how insurers differentiate themselves since we're smack dab in the middle of open enrollment. The findings are interesting all around, and we'll provide a link to the infographic highlighting the results, and we encourage you all to check it out. So our next segment is something that we're going to do in each episode, and it's called Company Spotlight. There's so many different companies, partners, um, people doing amazing things in healthcare today, and we want to make sure that we highlight one of them in each of these episodes. So today I'm excited to shine a spotlight on a company that I believe in called PocketDoc, and they're in the business of connections, specifically connecting people that need information with the information that they're looking for. So let me give you a little bit of background on PocketDoc. It started back in 2010 when co-founder Lisa Mackey was diagnosed with a synovial cyst. She had it removed, but it turns out the synovial cysts are known to come back. When hers came back, she was told that her only option was to have her spine fused, obviously not an option that Lisa was thrilled with. She spent about six months researching non-surgical solutions when she saw a chiropractor who unfortunately couldn't help her, but they knew of a doctor at the local hospital who happened to be running a study using human growth hormone to treat conditions like hers. That doctor, about a mile away from her home, was Dr. Dubik. He admitted Lisa into a study, and it worked. Lisa was pain-free within a few months, without having a spine fusion. But there's one important wrinkle in this story. Listen to Lisa herself. 
This is her speaking at the MedTech Vision Conference in September 2014. Dr. Dubik, the guy who finally cured me, was only one wing over in the same hospital as the surgeon who told me I had to fuse my spine. It took me six months, I'd say it took me six months to go 100 yards. I'm not going to blame either of those guys. They should have known about each other, but for some reason they didn't. Not to mention that I'm a mile away from the hospital of only one of two people in the country that are doing this study, and I can't find him on Google. I can't type in uh, a cure, you know, non-surgical cure for synovial cysts. So I can say with absolute confidence that since 1989, we have developed a technology to make it possible for me to find Dr. Dubik in less than six months. So this is where Lisa's mission of connecting people with the information they're looking for really begins. She knew that her experience didn't have to be that way, that there had to be a better way. This is Lisa again from the same conference on the moment that her and her co-founder had the aha moment and realized that they could build the solution. You know, down way into eligibility and claims and benefits enrollment and physician search and pricing and plan design and all the different data types and PDF files and JPEGs involved in that not real-time flat file environment. So again, Ted and I are looking at it going, wow, in this absolute quagmire of business data, business rules and data formats and unconnected services lies the answer to what I'm experiencing in not being able to find a treatment that's right for me and for two physicians with related treatments not knowing about each other in the same hospital. This is what we can solve. And we're uniquely qualified to solve that problem. So the rest is history. PocketDoc is formed to remove the data silos in healthcare via the APIs and connected technology enjoyed by every other industry. And now it doesn't take someone six months to find their Dr. Dubik. It takes less than six seconds. So application programming interface or APIs as a concept and technology to bridge disparate systems to enable the flow of data is a fairly ancient uh, concept in terms of the, the technology and is perhaps about 25 years old, if not longer than that. However, its use in healthcare is fairly recent and, and definitely much needed. Perhaps the biggest challenge in healthcare is that we have data and lots of data, but they're all over the place. Hospital EMRs, primary care EMRs, payers, pharmacies, dentists, opticians, and many other places. Good healthcare can be enabled when a clinician has the ability to see all of this data in an aggregated form that drives a more holistic view. APIs are able to do that, and we're seeing more and more health enterprises, be it payers or hospital systems, begin to develop and publish APIs. Some of these are open to everybody, and some of these are closed, but the fact that they are proliferating is good news. So, Tam, I would say that overall, APIs are good news in that we're now closer than ever before to truly enable a 360-degree view of a health consumer's health data and support clinicians in making some really good health decisions for us. I love it, Rohan. And I wrote an article recently on the new API economy in healthcare. And the point that I made is that adopting an API model in healthcare gives an outdated system like ours the versatility and flexibility it needs to tackle some of the most entrenched problems. Shifting to an API model is going to free up data for value-added, consumer-centric innovation and applications. And we'll include a link to that article in the healthcare blog in today's show notes. 
So I definitely encourage all of our listeners to check Pocket Doc out. With that, let's move on and introduce the first featured guest on the podcast. I'm so glad to welcome Andre Blackman to the podcast today. Andre and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the last several months, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Andre has an extensive resume, including his current roles as founder and principal of Pulse and Signal and producer of the Health Further Conference. Thanks so much, Tamara. Uh, definitely excited to be here. Uh, it's an honor to, to reconnect with you and to talk a little bit about the world of healthcare that we're in. Andre, can you start a little with a simple overview of Pulse and Signal? How did you come to found that organization and what's your role there today? Absolutely, Rohan. Thank you so much. Uh, there's a little funny story behind the actual naming of Pulse and Signal. So I started uh, you know, blogging back in 2007, just looking at the intersection of uh, social media, media technology and health. And this was obviously back when you know having a blog was was the, the golden uh, ruler uh, for, for social media um, influence. And uh, just, just having uh, the opportunity to see amazing things that are happening in social media, but also my fascination with global health and technology, uh, it definitely prompted me to just start writing about it. Uh, and, and given my background in public health and, and engineering, that was definitely kind of one of the, the, the best places to go. So I started writing, and I thought I would be... Uh, kind of creative with the title, and I came up with Antibio.Tech, which uh, in my mind was uh, a playoff of words on antibiotic, uh, just hmm. around the, the thoughts around you know health and, and public health and that sort of thing. But, but the way it was written out, it, it looked a little different. So about a month into me writing about these, uh, these different topics, I had actually uh, someone from Belgium reach out and, you know, just kind of let me know, thanks so much for writing the blog and how, how cool he thought the, the themes were. But he was asking me at the end, like, what do you have against the biotech industry? And I was like, what, what do you mean? Oh, and I, and I looked at how I wrote it. Antibio.tech is how it looked. And um, it dawned on me that was probably not the best branding idea. So um, after thinking about it for a little bit longer, I came up with Pulse and Signal, uh, Pulse kind of looking at the natural aspect of our lives and health and, and the lifeblood of, uh, of our world, and then signal as kind of thinking about it from, from a technology aspect and, and, and the signal of, you know, sending out a, a signal to the world about what's happening in the intersection of health and tech and that sort of thing. So um, that's, that's the name. And uh, as far as what, you know, kind of you know, built up from then, from 2007 to around 2012, w- was really, you know, me writing and, and it really afforded me the opportunity to go to different events and conferences to cover the, the growing industry of Health 2.0. And, uh, and, and my personality is very uh, people oriented. So I love meeting new people. I mm-hmm. love hearing new ideas. And that, uh, that platform just gave me the opportunity to meet uh, several great people, um, and, and, and you know, many of them are, are my friends today. Um, and and this, is, this got started in the Washington, D.C. area where I was living at the time. So I got to interview people like Susanna Fox, who was at that time at the Pew Internet Project. Uh, and uh, we were you know, at, a, at a health communications conference that the CDC had put together. But it really afforded me a platform to meet great people, to interview them. And that was pretty much my thing for the Pulse and Signal blog. 
And, uh, and once again, it just helped me build a platform. Uh, and so for the past uh, around five years, Pulse and Signal turned into a uh, innovation strategy consultancy for healthcare. So all the, all the things that I got to learn, especially around digital strategy and communications and social media, you know, afford me the opportunity to help organizations and companies to be smart about uh, how to build uh, social uh, communication, social strategy and branding, um, and really not only kind of strategizing about who the key players are that they need to connect with, but also executing on, uh, on outreach and, and a little bit of, uh, of digital PR. So, uh, you know, as, as the CEO of Pulse and Signal now, I help healthcare organizations, uh, you know, uh, build out strategy guides and playbooks for social communication. So this is, you know, what you need to do. These are the kind of people and avenues uh, to go down in order to uh, make the best use of social, um, the, the new social platforms, but also kind of helping to connect the dots within the healthcare innovation landscape. So whether that's partnership development or highlighting the innovators and the leaders that they need to be connecting with, that is what I do with Pulse and Signal. I think that sums it up really well. I think about you as a dot connector, Andre, when it comes to to making sure people that uh, you think should be connected get connected. Um, So Health Further just wrapped up, and thank you so much for for having me this year. And I'm wondering if you can tell us how it went from your perspective. Yeah, it was was a tremendous honor and, and pleasure to put uh, the, this year's uh, Health Further Summit together. And Tamara, you did an amazing job. So thank you for, um, you know, being invaluable on stage as, as a keynote speaker um, and bringing the topic of Anywhere Care to, to the audience. So it, it's, it's, been, it's been amazing being able to once again just connect with brilliant people in the industry. Uh, so working together with the Jumpstart Foundry, which is a healthcare innovation fund, that's uh, based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and, and for many of, of us in the healthcare industry, and, and for those who may not know, Nashville is a hotbed for healthcare uh, for, for many years now. And the Jumpstart Foundry has been integral in really you know, opening up the innovation uh, landscape to the industry in Nashville, but also, also beyond. Uh, there, there's a great wealth of organizations and hospitals and, uh, and executives that are leading the charge on, on healthcare in Nashville. And we felt that that was a great place to have the summit. And so our, our, our audience uh, were, were industry kind of veterans and leaders who have built healthcare for a number of years, uh, but maybe have not been, you know, wholly uh, focused on innovation or technology or what's coming next. And that's exactly what we wanted to create. We want to curate an atmosphere of learning and innovation and also connecting the dots between who's, who's coming up. Uh, and so the, the purpose of Health Further is to connect the dots between a lot of the legacy healthcare organizations, the leaders, the executives, uh, and then also with the innovative uh, startups and companies that are coming up and also kind of even looking outside of healthcare because as as uh, as we know, you know, there's so many different aspects that are starting to um, find their way into healthcare innovation. So we're looking at design thinking and um, you know online community building, um, and all those kind of things are working together now to make healthcare better, which is exactly what what we're going after. So we had a we had a great time in August where we had some great uh, speakers such as yourself, Tamara, but also. 
IDEO, uh, we had HHS mm-hmm. come out to look at the federal government aspect of innovation in healthcare. And uh, we're, we're definitely looking forward to continuing to grow the community. We're also uh, really looking forward to 2017, uh, which we're planning to make it uh, even better. So, Andre, I've had a chance to uh, go through your, uh, your Sustain or Die manifesto, and I'd love to hear more about it. Obviously, public health is a very important topic. So can you tell us a little more about the project, please? Absolutely, Ron. And uh, thank, that's, uh, that's one of my, my uh, kind of side projects that were, was really born out of a passion for you know, public health. So, I mean, I, I went... I went to to the University of Maryland for uh, aerospace engineering. That was actually my my main passion. Uh, I was really big into technology and did my uh, I did a, a high school internship at NASA when I was in in Greenbelt, Maryland. And so I was all focused on technology, space, um, engineering, that sort of thing. Um, and then I took an elective class uh, around tuberculosis and and public health, and it really caught caught my eye. It made more sense to prevent masses of people from getting sick. And so prevention became something that I was really focused on. So, you know, in the years of, you know, starting the Pulse and Signal blog and still being very much involved in public health, uh, I was getting a little frustrated because it became, to me, you know, kind of, you know, being able to see all the innovative things that are happening and all the great things around the world. um, I was getting a little frustrated that um, from, from what I was seeing, public health was still being very narrow, very narrow in the amount of uh, funding vehicles that were uh, coming out. You know, it's I worked on a number of different campaigns with NIH and the CDC, and one of the things that 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 I wanted to see more of was sustainable communications. Right? I mean, we would have a grant for a, a pilot study or pilot project uh, that that might last for a couple years, and then it would, you know. That, that would be the end of it. Or there would be like a mass media campaign where there would be, you know, a celebrity or two. We would go out and do some focus groups, put together some, you know, advertising or some some creative materials, uh, put it out there. And then after, you know, a year or a couple months, that would be the end of it. And for, for me, I guess the engineer, the engineer in me didn't see that as a sustainable piece. And so, um, you know, I just, you know, I had no... Uh, experience putting together any kind of ebooks or things of that nature, but I felt really compelled to 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 put something together. So the Sustain or Die manifesto uh, was really born out of a blog post that I wrote, I think, back in 2012, which which by the same name was Sustain or Die: The Rise of Public Health 2.0. And essentially, it had to do with a call to action for the public health community to really get on board with. A lot of the new, fresh ideas and concepts that were happening, which a lot of had to do with what I was talking about just now, uh, design thinking and really getting into the community and doing things like, um, you know, co-creation of solutions. Traditional public health, you know, you, we would have, you know, fairs where we would take blood pressure and go into the community, bring some balloons or something to that effect, you know, and then leave. But you know, essentially, a lot of the communities uh, that we're hoping to protect and trying to help prevent a lot of disease from, there's very little kind of co-creation happening. These are the people that are living and breathing in the community, but we're not working alongside of them effectively most of the time to create solutions that uh, that work. So, you know, that was a big aspect of the Sustain or Die Manifesto. The two pieces are, if we don't embrace these kind of new initiatives and these new ideas, uh, the world of public health will die. Uh, 
as well as the people that were serving. Uh, and, and it sounds a little uh, morbid, which I, I, I could definitely understand that, but it was really a passionate kind of blog post. And it turned into something where I wanted it to become a very visually stunning, um, information-packed and resource-packed uh, opportunity. And so I turned it into uh, this kind of PDF that has been downloaded uh, many times. And, and I'm actually working on uh, the next version of the manifesto that will uh, continue this, um, this vision of mine. Okay, Andre, to wrap us up, we're going to ask a few rapid-fire questions. We call this, what if healthcare? You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> what if healthcare was truly designed for the patient? If healthcare was truly designed for the patient, it would be a lot more lean and agile. Once again, just going back to that point about uh, co-creation, uh, you're hearing the pain points of the people that, once again, healthcare is serving. Um, so there would be a lot more opportunities to create solutions uh, that really solve uh, the, the pain points of patients um, and also working together with the patients to solve the pain points of the industry in general. Right. I mean, it, we have to understand how uh, healthcare as a business works. And uh, I, I think that would that two way conversation uh, will we'll provide the solutions and make a win-win situation for both sides of the coin. I love it. What if we unlocked all the value there was in the massive amounts of healthcare data? Unlocking uh, the amounts of, of value in, in, in the amount of data that we have also uh, lends, lends itself to making things more actionable, right? I mean, mm -hmm. once again, we can, we can spend some time asking questions of people, but you know, oftentimes, uh, even even asking questions of people, even if it's done really well, uh, doesn't get to the heart of what is actually happening. So I love the aspect of uh, all the data that we have access to. And, and HHS is doing an amazing job, you know, the Health Data Initiative and Damon Davis, who also took the stage at Health Further, uh, really just kind of showcased the, the, the power of data. And I feel like it, it provides a, another lens to uh, creating things that are sustainable and that are actually solving uh, actual problems. So, you know, leveraging uh, all this data, uh, making sure that we have people that are uh, building careers out of this as well, making sure that there are people that are competent in, uh, you know, analyzing the data and then turning it into uh, services and platforms uh, that will continue to make healthcare uh, flexible, agile, and uh, most importantly, valuable. Great. Last one. What if different healthcare stakeholders teamed up and worked together more often? Oh, that's that's a right sweet spot for me because <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it 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 fills the gaps, right? I mean, just just like every other industry, um, there's certain things that people are good at, and there's certain things that not everyone's so good at. And I think with building smarter partnerships across the board everybody can power up their strengths in different areas uh, that will uh, make you know the, the solutions that we come up with uh, more comprehensive. I think the more uh, diverse that we have with, with partnerships and people that bring their kind of specific uh, visions to the table, um, the better that we can create smarter healthcare that encompasses um, a number of a number of issues. So I definitely feel like um, you know ha having partners, across the board from, from different avenues um, creates just a, a better tapestry for uh, the solutions that we're all looking for. 
Great. Thanks so much, Andre. Great answers. I really appreciate you joining me for our very first podcast. Couldn't have had a better guest. And um, I hope you'll join us again in the future. Oh, absolutely, Tamara. Thank you so very much. And to Rohan Kalkarni, my co-host today as well. Great to have your expert insights on the show today, Rohan. Thanks, Tam. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you including me. So thanks for tuning in, everyone. 